Welcome, I'm Gary Parr, Editorial Director, Efficient Plant Magazine, and I have with me today Randy Bro, President of Motion Industries. Hi, Randy. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks for joining us on this. Um, uh, for those who are uh, have not uh, run into Randy at some point along the way, Randy uh, has four decades of experience in industrial manufacturing and distribution markets, and prior to becoming Motion Industries President, played a key role in developing corporate strategy, key acquisitions, growing supplier relationships, advancing marketing activities, and overseeing corporate operations as the executive vice president. Uh, he joined Motion Industries in 2011 after 21 years with ABB, uh, and also uh, participate locally in Junior Achievement and Boy Scouts, so that's terrific too. Uh, something to do in the evenings. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that makes me sound really old, Gary. <laughs> Well, we can I don't back it up. As old as that, but I, I am. <laughs> we can back it up and lie about the years and see how that works. <laughs> All right, our topic today is is that question of moving from a reactive uh, maintenance and reliability uh, environment to one that is predictive, prescriptive, moving toward that top quartile in terms of operation, not just in maintenance but overall culture in a company. And, you know, Randy, it, the, the evidence is so clear uh, time and time again, we see re research that says that people need to move toward a reliability oriented culture that is predictive in terms of maintenance, uh, is communicative up and down the chain, uh, enables operators to make decisions uh, at their level and um, so on and so forth, because it just, simply cuts maintenance costs dr dramatically and of course improves worker safety. But then when we look at the research, we see that so many people just are not making that move toward that kind of a culture and toward the, uh, trying to get to that top quartile. What, uh, what are some of the things that you see that either hold people back or make them hesitant to, uh, to put themselves on that track? Well, it's, it's a good question, Gary, and there's a number of answers uh, for that question. And I think you have to look at it holistically as to why more and more plants are not moving towards a preventative, predictive type maintenance program in their plants. Uh, first and foremost, uh, there's typically not buying all the way up the, up the, uh, the food chain, if you will. Uh, in our case, we try to make it become a financial decision. Uh, with our customers, get them to understand that, uh, you know, it's, it's about the cost of operating that plant. And if we can help them reduce the cost of operating that plant, then they can become more productive and make more money. And that's, that's the bottom line. So the question is, how do you do that? And you really need to get to the right people in the organization because, you know, it's, it's a cultural change in many cases where you're getting away from as you say, being very reactive to becoming more, more proactive in the way that you approach maintenance. So if you can start with the C-suite and get them to understand the benefit of, of predictive maintenance and uh, eliminate that unnecessary unplanned downtime, and then they can bring that into the culture of the company, that really moves you in the right direction pretty quickly. The other thing is, is you have to realize that, yes, it's a financial investment to get the equipment in place to be able to monitor 
the right product, uh, the right applications and the right products within the plant. But it's just that, it, it, it is a financial investment, it's not an expense. And once you can determine it as an investment as opposed to an expense, then you can start to rationalize the cost that's required to get to a, a more predictive, prescriptive reliability plan within your organization. And then of course, you've got to find somebody in the organization that's going to champion this and understand it and take it all the way up the, the, uh, the channel to the C-suite and make sure that you're measuring the results that you have. You know, a lot of times the equipment gets installed and then it kind of just sits on the pieces of equipment and nobody measures the results. So it's a combination of these things. And but once you can get these things all lined up and get them in place, um, it's very easy to, uh, to understand the return on the investment and to make sure that your plants are operating as efficiently as possible. What is the hesitancy at the uh, C-suite upper lab management level? I mean, the, it, it's not too hard to demonstrate the financial benefit. Uh, what is the hesitancy? And, and it, you termed it correctly, in my opinion, in that it's an investment and it, it's a long-term investment. But uh, what is the hesitancy there? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, you just don't see an immediate return unless, you know, <laughs> And, and most, most operators today, they're looking for an immediate or short-term return on their money. And um, in many cases, you know, uh, you install the, the uh, monitors and devices to give you that, uh, that read on the equipment, but if the equipment doesn't fail, well, there you go. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's almost like an insurance policy to some degree, you never want to use it, but when you do use it, you've got it, you know. I think in the case of this equipment, it's just that, um, it's not inexpensive to install. It's not in, inexpensive to monitor. And as long as you don't have failures, you don't really tangibly see a return. You know, um, that's not a bad thing though, because when you do have a failure and you know about it in advance, uh, the return can be very, very quick and very, uh, very sizable. You know, when you look at some plants, and I was in one of uh, a, a bottling plant here the other day that bottles water, and um, the cost of that bottling line, just the blow mold line that produces the bottles that the water goes into is $200 a minute of downtime. So you want to know if, uh, if that uh, equipment is, you know, going to fail and when it's going to fail so that you can, you can get in there during a plan downtime and change that electric motor or change that control or change that conveyor belt or whatever the case before it fails during a plan downtime rather than shutting the whole machine down in an unplanned downtime and experience $200 a minute of, of downtime cost. And it might be three, four hours before you get back up and running. So, you know, that's a perfect example where if you are monitoring the key products in the production line, you can schedule replacement of those products if you know they're going to fail and you know typically about when they're going to fail during a scheduled downtime as opposed to an unplanned event. So that's when you can start to see the return until you have those type of incidents though. It's very hard in the C-suite to really be able to wrap their heads around the investment required for the predictive prescriptive maintenance programs. Yeah, and I guess it does take an extra effort to demonstrate the savings that's involved, especially if, like you said, if nothing ever breaks 
or doesn't break uh, and you don't have downtime, uh, you almost have to, to make it up, if you will, to demonstrate if this had happened, uh, it would cost us X, it didn't happen, so therefore we are better off by this amount. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you though, you know, this pandemic that we've been going through has really brought to light the importance of having your, your uh, critical applications monitored on a production line because we've had incidents over the last two, three months where you know the maintenance uh, engineer is is working remotely because for whatever reason they can't be in the plant due to the pandemic, and uh, that equipment may still be running, but they're monitoring it remotely, and they can see when there's a potential failure and and, and take care of it. Um, I think because of that and and what we've been dealing with over the last few months, you're going to see more and more plants move towards remotely monitoring of the the primary. Um, equipment in the plant on the production line that they could possibly shut a plant down. Not all equipment needs to be maintained, you know, or needs to be monitored, I should say. Uh, but your, your key products in that production line, they can shut you down and shut you down for quite a bit of time. Those, those pieces of equipment should be monitored by some type of a, a device that can send the message to anywhere in the world, uh, if it's overheating, if it's, if it's uh, you know, pending failure, whatever the case may be. And what we typically see is a lot of the equipment in a plant that is a rotating piece of equipment, whether it be an electric motor, a gearbox, um, you know, any type of, of rotating equipment typically uh, can shut a plant down quicker than, than other pieces of equipment. Those are the types of equipment that we typically want to monitor. Critical assets, for many, uh, that's step one, is to simply identify those critical assets. That's exactly right. And, uh, and that is the first thing that you really need to do when you're looking at your, your production line is identify which are the critical assets and rank them based on their criticality uh, and, and what can shut this machine down and what do I have a lead time on to get that part? Uh, so you really can build a very comprehensive plan, plan of attack if you do have a, uh, a product go down. Uh, and that's kind of what we try to do with our customers is identify for them what are those critical assets on that production line and have a plan. And if we can monitor them, all the better. For those who have said, all right, we're going to move toward the top quartile, we're going to move toward a predictive uh, uh, culture, an approach to, to business top to bottom, what are some of the things, what are some of the trip points that you see that prevent people from getting there? Is it, uh, should they be starting with a pilot plant operation or a pilot project? Is that the, the best way to start, prove some cases, get some success, learn from that? Uh, but what, and then transition? Yeah it's, yeah. it's a great question. And there's a couple of answers to that. I always love to do a pilot project in a plant because then you can show exactly what you can do and you can fine tune your program for that specific customer's needs uh, by doing a pilot. So pilot projects are good. We have uh, many, many, many pilot projects with customers. And that's typically the first step in getting into a customer's facility to show them what can be done with uh, predictive prescriptive maintenance programs. Um, the other thing you can do though is uh, is show them what you've done in other at other customers. So you find a like customer in a like industry and you can show them 
uh, what what you've done at that other customer. And many times that customer will allow that new customer to come in and, and see what they're doing. So uh, that's another way to go about it. We also have a very strong relationship with our manufacturing partners and our manufacturing partners in many cases will come in and help us uh, educate our customers on what we can do and can't do from a, uh, a monitoring standpoint and a preventative maintenance standpoint on the products that they actually manufacture. It's a combination and it really just depends on the customer we're dealing with and what they're most comfortable with, as well as how much investment do they wanna make in a predictive prescriptive maintenance program. So it's a combination, not, no one size fits all. Right, and, and I think that's a, a good point too that, that people need to realize that there is a lot of help available these days, a lot of support help uh, to get you started that you probably don't have to invest a lot of money, if any, in just to get some advice, to get a, a structure for a program, kind of a, an assessment of your situation and what you need to work on. There's just an awful lot of that available um, that, that doesn't require you to spend millions of dollars on some kind of a program. It doesn't, and um, you know, uh, it, it, it just depends on how robust they want to launch into their plant, you know, and how many assets do they want monitored, and do they just want to monitor critical assets. The other aspect of it, in, and it's become a bigger issue of late, is um, the security of the data that's being transmitted yes. from the plant. And, you know, it's very important to get IT involved early on with the customer because you don't want to get in there and you don't want to create a situation where they could possibly be, uh, you know, hacked or attacked by a cybersecurity threat. Um, we have very discreet uh, methods of, of separating the data off of the, the condition monitoring devices from their operating system. So it depends on how the customer wants to handle that as well. Um, that, that can be a barrier quite honestly, with some customers. Um, but if we get to the right people in the organization, we can typically get, get past that barrier because there are ways to do it. Um, but to back to your original question, you know, how do you get to that top quartile? I think it starts with the very top, uh, the top people in the organization. If they truly want to run uh, the most efficient plant that they can run, um, they will buy in quickly to a prescriptive maintenance program uh, where we can predict failure in advance as opposed to being reactionary and waiting for things to fail. And, and that has to be not only a commitment initially, but a long-term commitment. Uh, and for a lot, if there's a change in personnel, that seems to be a place where people lose traction. It certainly can be. Um, and again, that's why, uh, you know, I, I like to try to get it uh, as high up into the organization as possible. I mean, it's not uncommon to have the chief financial officer at a customer uh, be aware of what we're doing because the chief financial officer can, he can do the math, he can do the calculations, he understands what a downtime cost is. What's amazing to me sometimes is when I go into a plant and you talk to some of the the, uh, the maintenance uh, individuals in the plant and you ask them what their downtime cost is, a lot of them don't know. Mm. So for us, it's an education process to really go take a look at and, and help them understand what is the downtime cost? What are the critical assets in your plant? Uh, what do you need to be aware of 
to make sure you're running this facility as efficient and effectively as possible. And, and if you can get that, that uh, close the loop and get that buy-in uh, from the C-suite down into the maintenance engineers, down to the, the maintenance mechanics on the floor, um, it's very easy to build a comprehensive plan and that plant can hum with very little downtime, or I should say unplanned downtime. Uh, yeah. because we can help them monitor. We know, we know when, when products are going to fail. If, if you're monitoring a large bearing, for example, and you know that that bearing temperature is, has been increasing over the, next, the last uh, three, four days, you know exactly that that bearing is going to fail within X number of hours. Right, right. You can help tell them that. You know, take an electric motor, for example. We're monitoring temperature on an electric motor. And all of a sudden, we see the temperature go from, you know, X to Y in a matter of minutes. Well, something catastrophic is about to happen. <laughs> and in many cases, it might just be something as simple as uh, a plastic bag got sucked into the fan housing and the motor's not getting any cool air. Mm -hmm. So somebody walks by the motor, we call them up and say, hey, you know, you need to check motor, you know, one, two, three on line B. And they go out there and they find out that somebody was having lunch and they dropped their plastic bag on the floor or something and it sucked up into the fan housing. Motor's not cooling. Pull the bag out and everything's fine. <laughs> but it could also be that, you know, a bearing failed. Right. It was failing. And we can pick that up by the the temperature of the motor, the temperature of the bearing, and the vibration on that electric motor uh, all at the same time and tell them, look, that motor is going to fail within the next 24 hours. You've got downtime scheduled this evening on third shift. We're going to have a motor on your dock here in about two hours, and you need to have that motor replaced tonight so that you don't shut that line down tomorrow during full production run on first shift. So these are the things that we can do. And the, the, the dollar savings there are very, very recognizable and tangible. We can show you exactly how much money you can save. And, and it, it pays for the monitoring equipment in short order when you can make a, a call like that. Yeah. And you just described there uh, to what are, to me, uh, key components, and that's communication and education. When you talk about we're going to have a motor on the dock in two hours, that means you have to have a system in place where you can make that happen. Uh, so Very you've got to have people, people informed up and down the line. Very true. And you also have to have, uh, you know, be working with a supplier that knows that that's a critical asset on your plant floor. And that if you don't have that product in your spares inventory, we have it in our inventory so that we can make sure we, we don't, uh, create additional problems for you. So it's a very, um, it's a very tight and closed uh, communication plan, but also uh, a relationship between us and the customer that must exist to make that really effective. In the plant, particularly the plant floor in terms of maintenance and operations, uh, that communication, I would guess in many instances needs to be ramped up quite a bit in order for uh, people to have success it does you know we we do a lot remote a lot of remote monitoring though of this equipment so you know we we have the cell phone of the uh of the of the maintenance manager in that <laughs> when we see something go from green to yellow he gets the first call when it goes from yellow to red he's usually right there on the spot you know taking yeah. care of it so uh 
we, we are dialed in pretty close with the communication plan with the customers that we monitor with. It's a required relationship to make it successful. As time goes on, say, say I get myself into a, a predictive environment and culture, and then as time goes on, human nature takes over, we start to get sloppy, we start to, to let things slip, we don't keep up with the, with the communication and the education. What, what are some tips you would offer to people to, to keep that from happening? Well, you know, um, we don't experience much of that because no. everything is digitally monitored. So it's kind of like being in the control room of a power plant. You, you don't want that cooler, that chiller, that's chilling that nuclear reactor to, <laughs> to, to go down, right? So you're not taking your eye off the ball. Yeah. And, and in most of the cases, when we get all the equipment installed and we're doing the monitoring, whether we're doing it here or the customer's doing it, um, you know, you don't see you don't see them make those kind of investments and then take the eye off the ball. And we certainly don't take our eye off the ball here. I mean, we look at it as as being part of the plan operations and and it's a vital role that you play when you're monitoring the equipment for a customer or you're providing the products to monitor the equipment for the customer. So it's not been an issue that we've had to deal with, quite honestly. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's encouraging because we know about human nature. It, it is true, it is true. Um, I think the one issue you would have there is uh, when you do make the call that something's about to fail and uh, the guy on the other end of the line, it's not as important as what it might be to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and that dot moves from yellow to red. Uh, you know, we've done our part, uh, but, but the customer has to do their part too. We've given them an indication that there's a problem. They have to follow through on their end. And occasionally, you know, they get distracted and something else gets a priority and then they come back and that product fails. And, you know, it happens. I won't say it doesn't happen, but, but it's not something that typically just gets ignored and, uh, you know, gets swept under the rug. So. Yeah. Been talking lately uh, with several people about the current quarantine and COVID uh, situation. The short-term impact is obvious. Uh, we're all experiencing that and dealing with it in one way or another. But in my mind, the long-term impact is, is the difference maker in that I think we're going to see uh, companies across the board take a new look at how they operate. And in terms of remote people, uh, do we really need to have people in the, in the office, if you will, every day or on the plant floor? Can we, can we monitor remotely? Can we control things effectively remotely? What are some of the things that, that you are seeing or anticipating that people are going to, uh, to be making long-term changes? Uh, spot on, Gary. Uh, we're already seeing it with some of our customers. Uh, there's fewer people working in the facilities that don't need to be in the facilities. They're working remotely. The beauty of a prescriptive pre pre predictive maintenance program is, is you don't have to be on site to monitor the equipment. You can be pretty much anywhere in the world. I can monitor a customer's equipment on my cell phone sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, that might be in Ontario, Canada. So from that aspect, things will continue to change. The other big thing we're seeing is more and more call for automation in these plants. Uh, a lot of the automated equipment that we sell, uh, the automated components we sell, they don't get sick, they don't catch COVID, uh, <laughs> they, they work 24 hours a day, you know. Um, 
and you know there's a uh, there's also a, a a lack of human capital a lack of a lack of people to go and work in these plants in some cases so we're seeing more automation we're seeing uh, more customers that need to monitor that equipment remotely uh, and not in in the plant so i think you'll continue to see that trend going forward automation in my opinion and Predictive prescriptive maintenance and automation go hand in hand in my mind, uh, but you're going to continue to see more investments uh, in pretty much every industry to automate their processes going forward for various reasons. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, this uh, situation that we're in right now kind of playing right into a solution for the lack of skilled workers. And it absolutely is the lack of skilled workers, the cost of workers. Uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, a, a plant can get shut down because of a virus like we've seen. Yeah. So um, all of those things come into play. And I can tell you, it is the discussion around the board tables uh, today at many of the large corporations is how do we invest now to prevent issues like this from happening again in the future. So that's come up in more than one discussion too. future proof ourselves. We, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And that plays well for us because, you know, when we look at um, the, the preventative maintenance programs, when we look at automation, uh, these are the solutions that our company provides that uh, they can help us create more value for our customers. And at the end of the day, that's what we all need to figure out how to do is how to create more value for the, the customers that we serve. So, and, and then to implement and make this kind of thing happen really takes that partnership between uh, say Motion Industries, for example, and your customers, that partnership that is not just a uh, purchase order and we're done with you type of thing, but an ongoing exchange of information, uh, assistance, almost essential anymore. It is, you know, and when we, when we think about uh, the, the early stages of the uh, IIoT or Industry 4.0, you know, and mm. uh, fact that uh, we can uh, communicate via the cloud and pass data between uh, companies via the cloud. You know, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about, you know, he who owns the data is the king. Yes. And I've come to a different uh, position on this. I, I really don't think it matters who owns the data in the IIoT world. I think what matters most is what do you do with the data? Whether the customer owns the data, whether we own the data, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what matters most is what do you do with the data? What do we do with the data to help our customers become more, more productive? What does the customer do with the data? What data do they share? So, you know, I'm not hung up like many on who owns the data mm -hmm. as much as I'm more concerned about what do you do with the data. And in today's world, um, there is a lot of data out there. Yes. And, 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 you know, I had one customer tell me a while back, one very, very large paper customer that we have. And they told me, they said, look, data is not the problem. We've got all kind of data. We just don't know what to do with it. Right. And that's where you as a, uh, as a uh, predictive maintenance uh, partner can step in and help them understand what to do with the data that that uh, positions them to take advantage of you know the information you provide or the information they provide you in the most effective way to keep their plants up and running 
at the end of the day, it's all about reliability, running that plant efficiently, and uh, you know, making sure that you're, you're getting the most out of the equipment and the facility uh, that you can. You touched on cybersecurity a while back. Do you feel that there is a much better appreciation today than say two or three years ago of the importance of cybersecurity and the importance of in, in training and informing employees top to bottom about how important that is? Have, have people moved to at least a, a keen awareness? Absolutely. Um, there is a very, very keen awareness of the, uh, the risk involved with cybersecurity in all organizations today. And um, the challenge is, is that the, uh, the cyber thieves, if you will, are moving at as quick or quicker pace than we are. Uh, so that is a big challenge, but I can tell you, um, it is one of the largest investments that we make on an annual basis is to protect our, our systems and to protect our data. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're not alone in that regard. Most yeah. customers that we deal with, uh, express the same. Well, that's certainly encouraging because I, I think three, four years ago, you would not be able to make that kind of a statement. That is true. You know, I think we've all been hacked at some point in some way, and I don't expect that to, uh, to let off. But, uh, you know, I think most of your leading edge companies are certainly um, making the necessary investments to protect themselves, but it still happens. And when we look at, uh, when we look at our preventative maintenance programs and whatnot, like I said, if, if the customer asks us to work through their network, we can. But if they want a discrete, uh, a discrete network that does not uh, work through their servers and their network, we can do that as well. You feel uh, that the move toward predictive, uh, preventive, prescriptive, uh, whatever term we want to use, whatever, but certainly the top quartile, that in say two years, you and I would have a different conversation about where people are at. Is is there enough momentum? Yeah, I think there is. And, and our reason why is because of the technology changes that we've seen over the last two to three years. I mean, two to three years ago, we weren't talking about Industry 4.0. We weren't talking about IIoT. The manufacturers weren't building um, monitoring devices as part of their standard product offering. Today, many of them are. So I think that uh, two to three years from now, you know, you could even go out, you know, maybe a little bit further I think that uh, that it will be just a commonplace for most of your large critical assets in a plant to be shipped directly from the manufacturer with embedded uh, condition monitoring devices in the equipment. Mm -hmm. We're already starting to see it. Some of our manufacturing partners on, for example, large gearboxes or large uh, mounted bearings and certainly electric motors and, and, and pumps so, and that gets back to the comment I made earlier about rotating devices. All of those products I just described are rotating devices. So, you know, those are, those are key products in a production facility. And when they go out, they will typically shut down a production line. So those critical assets need to be monitored. Whether you retrofit those products with a condition monitoring device or whether you you uh, install a new product with the device already mounted into it, uh, um, I think you're gonna see more and more 
plants uh, adopting those practices going forward. The other part of it is the, uh, the software, if you will, out there is getting much easier to use and much easier to access. A lot of customers think software is free. It's not free, I can tell you. <laughs> um, but they expect it to be. And um, that is one of the challenges out there, you know, because everybody kind of launched into this separately. There are no standards for condition monitoring software out there today. Uh, so I think what you will see going forward is you'll see uh, a few companies rise to the top in the coming years with regards to the software platforms uh, that the plants will use to monitor equipment. But then you'll see quite a wide variety of companies producing condition monitoring devices that mm -hmm. can be installed or already installed on the critical assets that are being used in the plants. Randy, thank you. Enjoyed it. Learned some things. Well, you're quite welcome, Gary. And anytime we can help you guys, uh, uh, you know, educate your, your readership, we are happy to, uh, to help out in any way we can. Very good. All right. Appreciate the time. Thanks to everybody for listening.